I got a lot of notes. Isn't it good when God talks to you? Isn't it God when God shares with you? I just count it such an honor. You know, God's never given me a little thing. Here, Jack, here's just a little thing for you. Whenever God gives you something, it's a big deal. Whenever God speaks to you through his word, and especially to give to others, it's a very, very big deal. And last week, we started on a little mini-series on the deceitfulness of lust. The deceitfulness of lust. And uh, it really is branching out of the whole thing we talked about with sanctification. And we are eventually, I have great news, that eventually there is going to be a sermon that has good news in it. It's coming. I've already started it. It's going to be amazing, but it's not today. Okay? But it's going to be good. And uh, what we're talking about is, you know, what I'm really finding as I'm studying the Bible is learning that, you know, in the, in the righteousness sense, we have a saying, when the pattern's right, the glory will fall. Amen? When Solomon completed the temple and he did everything according to the way that God said, God gave him a pattern. And when Solomon followed the pattern and did everything the way that God told him to do it, when the, the pattern was done, then God's glory came and he filled that pattern. Amen? When the glory's right, you know, when the pattern is right, the glory will fall. Well, in the, in the devil's kingdom, what he wants us to do is he wants to give you a pattern to keep you away from the glory. And so what I am discovering in the Bible is that we have an enemy, and he understands patterns, and he operates out, out of these patterns because he's done them for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And so I am finding patterns in the Bible. What I'm really looking for are ways to keep us all safe. Is that okay? Yeah. I want to keep us alive. Yeah. I want you, like my pretty wife said, I want you operating at 100% capacity. I want you uh, operating under the entire blessing that the Bible offers us. I want you walking full of health, full of finances. I want your families blessed. I want your children blessed. I want your businesses blessed. I want us to be Christians. Amen? But the devil has certain ways that he tries to get to us, and one of them is through the deceitfulness of lust. Amen? The deceitfulness of lust. Uh, last week, we used a scripture in 1 John 2.16 and verses 17 where it talked about all sin falling under three categories, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. All sin is going to come through one of those three ways. Lust of the flesh, we all know what that is. I see something, I lust after it, I have to have it. A lot of times it involves um, men, they use, and I'll show you some examples of it, but men lusting after uh, the immoral woman or something along those lines. I have the lust of the eyes. I see something that somebody else has and I want it. I'm not happy with anything that I have. When I see something that somebody else has, I want it. It's the lust of the eyes. And then the most deceitful one of them all is the pride of life. And this one, because the pride of life can hide itself in two ways. It can be grandiose and look at me and look how big, or it can be like this. Oh, no, no, nothing for me. It can come across as this humble and meek thing, but it's really just trying to get attention. Oh, no, 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 
you know, just you get all, I don't need any of that. No, 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 that's all for y'all. See what I'm saying? Pride of life is, is probably one of the, the more trickier ones that we deal with. But um, in, uh, we talked about with Adam and Eve, when Eve went and touched uh, in the garden, all three of those sins showed up. Uh, in lusted after the, the apple, her eyes went toward it, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, flesh. And then Satan said, you know, if you eat it, you're going to be wise. You're going to be just like God. That's the pride of life. And so all three of those shown up. And remember, I used that example out of the Kamash. And uh, the Kamash says that uh, as even uh, the devil are at the tree and Eve says, you know, we're not even to touch the tree, that Satan pushed her into the tree and nothing happened. Pushed her into the tree and absolutely nothing happened. What was the law? Don't eat of the tree, right? There was no law about touching the tree. He showed her, look, touch the tree, look. Nothing happened, you'll be just fine. How does he try and get us to push, how does he push us into the tree today with thoughts? We will start thinking on things that we know we're not supposed to, and because nothing happens immediately, we continue down that thought process. Don't you wish alarm bells went off whenever we started thinking about the wrong thing, like somebody else could hear it? Like you're just sitting in the other room and all of a sudden an alarm goes off and your wife comes in and goes, what are you thinking? Well, that does happen in my house, but maybe it doesn't happen in your, no. But don't you wish there was just something that went off like an alarm, like your eyes started flashing or something, like you're thinking the wrong thoughts. Stop. Well, we have control over all those things. And we have control over what we listen to, what we watch, what we say, but most importantly, what we think about. So let's look at Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. And we're really just continually talking about sanctification. Sanctification is being separated from the devil, but being separated to God. When we got saved, we got separated from the world and we got separated into God's kingdom. We got separated out of this earthly life and we got separated back to the heavenly life from which we came from. And so what I'm trying to do today is show you the different ways that the devil will try and come to get you to go back to the old way. And it's very seductive and it's very slow. He's very patient. He has watched us for thousands and thousands of years. He knows our patterns. That's why he's got a proven track record on how he tries to do this. And what I'm endeavoring to do today is to put as much light as I possibly can on some things, some things that you and I might think, oh, those are just innocent little things. Oh, those are just tiny little things. Oh, it's okay if they do that at that age, it's cute. And I'm trying to tell you today that, and I'm jumping way ahead, but as God is trying to sow seeds of obedience into your heart, Satan is trying to sow seeds of rebellion at the same time. And this is a tried and true pattern that he has used forever as you are trying to sow obedience. How many of us have children? Amen. And I used this example last week. As you are trying, you're bringing them to church. Parents, thank you for bringing your children to church. Amen. Thank you that you are taking the time to get your children into a godly atmosphere around other. They need to see that they're not weird and that there's other Christians. Because the devil works overtime on your kids to make them think that they're the only ones. Oh, it's Halloween this week. Everybody, not at my house. 
You know, we do hallelujah night. We do trunk or treat. Amen. I mean, we do Halloween, but it's like, okay, come as your favorite Bible character. I mean, you can only be Mary and Joseph for so many kids. Okay. But as we are endeavoring to sow the word into your children, and my wife does an amazing job, and our child care team does an amazing job. You do an amazing job. Who's all our child care workers? Wave at me. Stand up. If you work in our children's department, would you stand up? Stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for sowing the word. You may be seated for sowing the word into these kids. But at the same time, we're trying to sow the word into your children through their friends, through their school, through their telephones and all those things. Satan is trying to sow seeds of rebellion at the same time. And you don't always see the seeds of rebellion right off the bat. But here's what's happening. You have two things growing in the same ground, and pretty soon they are going to come to harvest. And whichever one is stronger is the one that's going to dominate in your child's life. That's why it's so important for us to make sure that we are active and engaged in what our children are doing and what they're looking at and who they're talking to and who their friends are on their phone and all those types of things. I made this statement this morning when we were in faith class. I went through my entire elementary career, all 15 years of it. I went through all of my junior high, that was nine years. And then high school, we're still working on that one, but one day, no, I'm kidding. But I went through elementary, junior high, and high school, and those two days of college, and guess what? I never needed a phone any of those days. There was not one of those days where I needed a telephone. The principal knew my parents' number and would call them whenever. But I did not need that phone. Parents, we have been lied to to think that our children are powerless and defenseless if they go somewhere and they don't have a phone. It is a lie. Well, what if something happens? We have the name of Jesus. Who are we teaching our children to put their faith in? You? That if something bad goes happen, they're going to call you first? Call Jesus first. And as we are trying to sow seeds of obedience into your children, there are many other, the devil is very crafty, he's very subtle, and he sounds very reasonable, and he is trying to sow seeds of rebellion at the exact same time as God is trying to sow seeds of obedience. Proverbs 2.16, it says, actually back up to verse uh, 14, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked whose ways are crooked and who are devious in their paths. And this is talking about the word. To deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house leads down to death and her path to the dead. None who go to her return, nor do they regain the paths of life. The Passion Translation says, and all the men who go through her door will never come back to the place that they were. Folks, the devil doesn't take vacations. He works 24-7. And so in order for us to stay on top of our game, we have to be 24-7 believers. I can't take days off. Amen? 
I have to constantly keep myself in the Word, keep the light showing so that I can stay in a place where I can recognize when these temptations start to come at me. Amen? I have to stay, keep my head right. Proverbs 6 in uh, verse 20. Proverbs 6 verse 20, a few pages over. My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you are awake, they will speak with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Listen to me. The more time that I spend in the Word, I want you to notice that a lot of times in the Bible when temptation comes, when the immoral woman shows up, when the adulterous woman shows up, it's always in the dark of night. I want you to notice that any time the Bible is talking about seduction and those types of things. See, anybody ever go to a other kids ever go to a bar when you were younger? One hand? Okay. Picking to one. Anybody ever go to a bar? Did anybody used to have a favorite bar or a club or a place you used to go to? Come on, some of y'all. Come on, a little. If I if I did one song, bump bump, y'all be all like, oh. Did you ever go to a bar or a club? When did you go to it? At night. We always went out at night. When I was going to go out and do my dirty work, I did it at night. Were you ever in the bar at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning when the lights came on? And you went, oh, my God. I cannot believe what I have been standing in for the last six to eight hours. It is filthy. It is dirty. There's stuff on the floor. There's people on the floor. All of a sudden, when the light comes on, I'm like, can you believe this? It's like a health inspector's paradise in here. The bathrooms, the people. Did you ever see your friends in the light, four o'clock in the morning? Who are you? I don't even know who you are. We'll stop there. That's what the light of the word does in our lives. It keeps the light from getting too dark where we can't see what's going on around us. The light of the gospel comes on. See, I would never knowingly walk into that bar at nine o'clock in the morning. Why is it? Because I can see it. The light is shining. It's bright. I don't even want to touch that. I need a tetanus shot from walking into that place. I've been drinking out of these classes. See, that's what the word does. The word gives us night vision. When I have the word of God, I can see at night. I can see when the evil one is trying to come, and therefore I am not going to be misled. Now, we're going to talk about, to me, what could have been one of the greatest kings the world has ever known turned out to be one of the most deceived kings we've ever known, and that's King Solomon. Amen? No one has ever been as rich as King Solomon. No one has ever been as wise as King Solomon. No more has accomplished more than King Solomon, but yet... By the end of his reign, he had lost 10 of the tribes of Israel, ripped away from him, and Israel has never recovered from what he did. Think about that. 
Wisest man, smartest man. So, we ready? First Kings. First Kings chapter two. And let's figure out, hey, if we can use him as a standard as to, okay, let's see, how, what happened to this guy? What led him down this path? 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 46. It says, and this, is, this will make sense in a moment. So the king commanded Benaniah, the son of Jedodiah, and he went out and struck him down, and he died. And this is what I want you to see. Thus the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. Does everybody understand this? David was gone. David had all the infighting. David and Absalom, you had all of the, the fighting between the siblings of David. David had multiple wives. He had multiple children. None of them liked each other. A house full of strife. One person said, well, I'm just going to go be king. God had told David that Bathsheba's son, Solomon, was going to be king. I mean, these people played for blood. I mean, they played for blood. And once you became king, you went and wiped out your enemy. It didn't matter if it was family. They cleaned house because there was not going to be one bit of rebellion to rise up against you in order to try and take the kingdom from you. Does that make sense? So what happened? This is Solomon. Thus the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. Okay? First Kings chapter 3 verse 1. Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter, then brought her to the city of David. Okay? So David gets, I mean, Solomon gets the kingdom. Then he makes a treaty with Pharaoh. Then he takes Pharaoh's daughter as his wife, moves her into the big house. Now, 1 Kings 3, verse 3. 1 Kings 3, verse 3. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. But he even remedies that because he actually builds the temple. Solomon's doing good, isn't he? Amen. He gets the kingdom, makes a treaty with Pharaoh, gets a wife, loves God with all of his heart, follows after his father's precepts and all of everything that he was told to do. And then we go to 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. Now God's appearing to him. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? This man's on a roll. I mean, this guy is having that day. I mean, he's having the perfect day. He's got the kingdom. He's got the treaty. He's got the wife. He loves God with all of his heart. And now all of a sudden, God himself is appearing to him. What could possibly, what could stop this man from accomplishing everything that he's been called to do? I mean, he's, he's crushing it. We would love to have a day like this. If you go back and you look at some of Solomon's accomplishments, look at 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 20. Solomon just goes to work. Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea in the multitude, eating and drinking and rejoicing. So Solomon reigned over all the kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. And then it gives a... a provisions for his house of what they eat each day. If you drop down to verse 26 in 1 Kings 4, 
Solomon had 40,000 stalls, 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots, 12,000 horsemen. And these governors, each man in his month, provided food for the King Solomon and all who came to him. Verse 29, and God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all men to the east and all wisdom of the Egypt, for he was wiser than all these men. Verse 34, and the men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Where's the chink in his armor? What happened? I mean, this guy was the smartest. I mean, God had blessed him with finances. God had blessed him with riches. God, he built the temple. He was obedient. He did everything that God had asked him to do. What happened and how did it get in? Back up to me again to 1 Kings chapter 3. I know we're going a little longer, guys. Stay with me, okay? I promise you, don't let time rob this from you. Okay? Please. Go back to verse, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1. Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. One verse after he takes the kingdom and starts walking in obedience a seed of rebellion is sown at the exact same time. Where in the Bible was he ever allowed to marry Pharaoh's daughter? And why didn't he marry somebody from his own tribe? There is not one thing in there where Solomon ever married one woman from Israel. I'm just going to say that he saw so much dysfunction in David's house. I'm going to say when he saw all these wives fighting amongst themselves, when he saw his own brothers and sisters killing each other over this stuff, Solomon said, I don't want anything to do with any of these people. And he went and he married Pharaoh's daughter and he made a treaty with Pharaoh. Now, doesn't that seem sensible? Doesn't that seem like, yeah, that, that's a good idea, Solomon. Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's, let's make this treaty and let's just make sure that you and I are friends. And hey, by the way, let me just throw my daughter into this to sweeten the deal. And that way you and I will always be connected. Do you see through the temptation of lust of how sensible temptation will sound? Man, this just makes perfect sense. This is good for you. And it's good for me. And Solomon didn't know that the minute that he married her, even though he did all of these wonderful, great things, that his life was coming to an end. Because as he was sowing seeds of obedience, there were seeds of rebellion that were being sown day by day, moment by moment, into his heart. Well, how do you know that? Go to 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. Eleven one. This is some of the saddest scriptures in the Bible. But King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh. 
women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, and the Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. And here's the saddest part. Solomon clung to these in love. Now I want you to notice in verse 3, verse 4, that Solomon loved God. And because he let this one seed that he should have never done grow up together with the same, as he's growing in obedience and power, the seed of rebellion was growing up too. And finally, it overtook his heart. And now this same man who loved God, who God gave the kingdom to, who created and built this beautiful temple for God and did it perfectly, who is what the Bible says the wisest. He wrote thousands of Psalms. He knew entomology. He was brilliant beyond his days. But you know what? Even his intellect. See, don't think your intellect can keep you from being deceived. Don't think because you have a PhD that Satan can't try and trick you. Don't think that your intellect can fix a spiritual problem because it can't. I don't care how many PhDs you have. He was a fool. At the same time, listen to me. Let me try and bring this home. The same time, folks, look at me. In our heart, there's two seeds growing. There's seeds of obedience. And you know those seeds of obedience because you always want to do right. God, I want to do right. I want to be right. I want to I do this right. God, I'm tired of falling. I'm tired of failing. I keep going around this mountain the same time. Lord, I'm just, yeah. do you know why you're in that spot? Because there's seeds of rebellion that haven't been dealt with. Can, can you handle just a little bit more? We'll finish with this, but we're going to pick it back up next Sunday. Let's look at Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. I am going to have a sermon that's really good news. And it really is going to be good news. Because I'm going to show you people that did it right. Instead of always having to point out the ones that didn't, I want to show you the ones that did it right. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. And another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed into his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then these tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to him, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, least while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. 
We have to deal with the seeds that the enemy is 100%, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, trying to sow into our hearts. You cannot have faith and unbelief in the same heart. We're a mixture. We're living out of this mixture that's in our hearts. We either need to live off the Word or off of something else, but we can't do both. Amen? Praise the Lord. Two minutes? Abraham gets a powerful word from God. What's, te- what's God tell Abraham to do? Go to your another, get out of your country, get away from your family, go to a land that I've prepared for you, and there I'll make you a mighty nation. Genesis chapter 11 or 12, verses 1 and 2. Amen? So the next verse says, And Abraham did everything and took Lot with him. Seed of obedience and seed of rebellion being sown at the exact same time. God never told Abraham to take Lot with him. Sounded good. It looked good. He's family. Well, we always have to bend over backwards for family. Folks, sometimes family is the seed of rebellion trying to get into your house to ruin your home. But it comes to you as family. You better have a word from God about going in after family because I've seen it try and blow up home after home after home. So now Lot and Abraham are going, and guess what? They both start increasing. And it says they come to a land, and he says, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham and the herdsmen of Lot because they were both so rich there wasn't enough land to contain them. Harvest time. I got wheat and I got tares, and something's got to give. And Abraham does the right thing, and he separates from Lot. Lot ends up in a duplex in a really bad town, (laughs) losing everything. Abraham goes on to be one of the richest, most influential men in the world. Israel is leaving Egypt. The train is leaving. We have all the money. We have all the food. We have everything. But they took the rabble with them. Seat of obedience, scene of rebellion, leaving at the exact same time. They start growing. Now the rabble starts saying, oh, I wish we had the food that we used to have. Influences Israel, harvest time, tens of thousands die because the rabble who should have never been there persuaded the ones that should have been there that it wasn't good enough, that getting food from God wasn't good enough. Do you see the pattern? Listen to me. If God can't get you to abort at the very beginning, he tried to kill Moses by killing all the babies. He tried to kill Jesus by killing all the babies. If he can't get us to try to abort, then he'll do this. He'll start sending these seeds of rebellion to go a stone right at the same time with your obedience. He's got a plan, folks. And the more light we have of his word, the easier it is for us to see it. And when that weed or that that seed gets planted, I can pluck it out and not let it germinate. I'm so glad I had parents that didn't try to be friends with me. I'm so glad they recognized the rebellion in me. And we came to harvest time, they had a choice. Jack, I want you to leave while I still love you. They didn't ask me to leave, they invited me. 
Greatest thing that ever happened to me. But that's love. But people don't think that's love. Why didn't you just give him whatever he wanted? Don't you love him? Yes. But I was affecting the whole household with my rebellion. Now, I've got to bring this around so that we can receive communion right now where everybody's in a good place. <laughs> Jesus is Lord. Amen. Do you see the pattern? So as my wife's coming, as we're about to receive communion today, I want you to see, do you see the pattern? We've got to deal with those seeds of rebellion because they will try and choke out and they do have the power to stop your obedience to God. Does everybody have uh, emblem? We are here at West Houston Christian Center. Um, communion is open to everyone. And the only prerequisite is that you are born again. We have your children in here. We always have the kids in the first Sunday of the month so that they can receive communion. Ushers, I've got some people. If you'd raise your hands if you don't have the emblems, we're going to ask that you go ahead and start now to open them. It's going to take you a while. But the most important thing that we can do at this communion table is you can deal with the seeds of rebellion in your own life. You can ask God to remove them. One of the most powerful prayers that I ever prayed when I came out of a drug culture was that when I started going back into it, I prayed this prayer on a Tuesday night in our old building. Jay Cross was receiving the offering, and he just simply said, Lord, change my desires. And when I prayed that prayer, I was free. I never went back. And that's been 30 years. Never went back. So as we are receiving communion, ask God, pray that prayer. Lord, if you're struggling with something, a chemical thing, if you're struggling with a, an addictive thing, if you're, if you're dealing with grief, if you're dealing with emotional issues, ask God at the midst of this table, Lord, change my heart, change my desires. And I guarantee you, he'll meet you where you are. Hallelujah. So I was speaking during the tithe, excuse me, during the taking up of the tithes and the offerings about how everything is the Lord's in, in a certain manner, you know, the cattle on a thousand hills and the silver and the gold and, and the tithe is his. And it says, um, bring, I actually want to read it exactly so that I don't misquote it. And I said it and you hear it all the time, but bring all the tithe into the storehouse that there may be food or meat in my house. So. This is the Lord's, just like the tithe is the Lord's. So the tithe is the Lord's. When we don't do what the Lord tells us to do, we don't have what the Lord wants to get to us. When we don't tithe, as an example, there's no food in the storehouse. Food could be meat or it can be bread. We know that. And we know that Jesus has said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Holy Spirit, help me to say this in a way that is revelation knowledge to them. He is the bread of life to you. Thank you, Lord. He is everything you need to get the mixture out. Your job is just to obey him. When we obey him, we do things like come to church, pray, Thank read you. the word, tithe, take communion. As we take communion today in your obedience, you can ask the Lord, 
in addition or with what he's saying, change my heart. He can make stony areas soft, but he can also show you where the mixture is, the mixture that's from the enemy that you need to uproot and get out. Amen. So that you can get into the right place to hear him so you're not fighting against God to do what he says. Sometimes we don't realize that when we argue, this is just an example, there's no condemnation. We argue, we say, I don't need to go to church, I'm the church. When we argue, we're saying, I don't believe in God. I'm right. Hallelujah. So I'm asking the Lord to give you revelation knowledge very lovingly that what we are doing right here is obeying him. Thank you, Lord. In this moment of taking communion. And when we obey him, he can get all the bad stuff out that's confusing us and causing us to think we're right over God being right. Thank you, Lord. And it will set us free. God wants you free. He wants you delivered. He wants you healed. He wants you whole. He wants you with a clear mind. He wants you walking in victory and success. This is not just a game. I'm not selling you something. God wants you filled with peace Amen. and joy. So we're taking this act just like we would come to church or pray or take, give our tithes. We're taking this act and we're saying, Lord, I'm going to obey you. And I'm believing that this is food, the bread of life for me. And it's going to help me receive wholeness. But I want to make a confession about getting the mixture out, getting the stuff that's of the enemy out, so when this bread of life comes in, it has the power to do everything it needs to do. So say this with me, God. God. Please forgive me for my sins. Please forgive me of my sins. For allowing anything in. For allowing anything in to your temple. To your temple. That was not of you. That's not of you. That was not pleasing to you. That's not pleasing to or you. Or was not of faith. Or is not of faith. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your forgiveness. And I come before you. And I come before you. And I'm taking the bread of life. And I'm taking the bread of life. Believing. Believing. That it's going to purify. That's going to purify my temple. My temple. And make it whole. Make it whole. I receive deliverance. I receive deliverance from any mixture. From any mixture. From any demon. Any demon. And I receive healing. Yeah. And I receive healing from any infirmity. From any infirmity. Any sickness. Any sickness. Any weakness. Any weakness. Any abnormality. Any abnormality. Any dysfunction. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And we take it now. Believe for that. Thank you, Lord. And Father, we humbly come before you with this cup, this cup of the new covenant, this cup of forgiveness, this cup of redemption, this cup of righteousness, Lord, this cup that you went before us so that we could even drink from it. Lord, as we partake of it, we do it in remembrance of you, of that night when you were with your disciples. Could have been the last night you were ever together, together with all of them. There was power, Lord, in that cup. So, Father, as we receive this cup, your blood, washes away all of our sins, erases them, you throw them away as the east is from the west. Lord, it brings the protection over us, Father. I plead the blood of Jesus over us, over this church, over this body, over your families, over your children. We will never be a statistic. And we will never, ever, ever have accidents or calamity because of our covenant in Jesus' name. 
So Father, we receive your cup, your cup of forgiveness, your cup of redemption, your cup of sanctification. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. The ushers are going to come down. Thank you, Lord. Check yourself. Did anybody explode or anything happen? We went 20 minutes, 21 minutes longer. Just want to make sure nothing exploded on you or anything or everybody's still okay. Hey, the body ministry that we had earlier, that was church. Just being able to get our hands on people again, lay hands on people and agree with you folks. I can't tell you because we've not been able to do that in so long. Let's all stand to our feet. Hallelujah. Go ahead. I just want to say that ministry was so powerful, and that's why we do come to church, because we shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves together so we can get what we need from the body and be encouraged and strengthened to do everything else during the week and to be strong to preach the gospel. We're stirring up love and good works. We're encouraging you. Praise the Lord. Amen. Brother Steve is going out the door. If you're a, a guest with us today, we have a gift we'd like to give you. Miss Pansy is walking back to member services with Brother Mike, where Mike is. Men, we need your help for the, uh, the going home party. Uh, women, we need your help, men and women, for setup and cleanup and food prep and all that. So if you would see Brother Mike and Miss Pansy on the way out, uh, we love you. Jesus is Lord, amen. Please pick up your children and you are dismissed.